again, let's, I'd like to ask the Lord's blessing upon his word one more time. Gracious Heavenly Father, I come before you asking for your blessing upon your word, that it would be, or just be of your, that your word would come through, your truth would come through clearly, and uh, that it would honor you and bless those who hear it. In your name, Lord Jesus, amen. Uh, <clears throat> as you can see, uh, probably up on the screen, uh, the, the title given this is a, a resolution to remember. Uh, partly, uh, Pastor Kern joked the last time uh, that we were here, the Sunday before Christmas, as I was leaving, that uh, since I would be preaching the first Sunday of the year about, you know, the, the idea of resolutions, and he threw out there, you know, uh, you know, give us a resolution to remember. I said, wow, that's a good title. Can't let that go to waste, can you? I felt like the Lord kind of, you know, um, kind of put some things on my mind, on my heart, along those lines, and I thought, well, we'll go with that, and we'll see where the Lord leads in that, uh, in this. So it's, we're going to kind of move around in Scripture. If you, I'm going to warn you, if you don't want to turn, that's all right, because we're going to be kind of hit a bunch of things. It's going to be more of a, uh, a looking through a lot of different Scriptures, or at least referencing a lot of different Scriptures. So you may fall behind if you try to turn too fast or whatever because we won't be in any one passage very quickly or for very or for very long and with that as we gather here together at, at this holiday the new year's day as it is you know thinking back we just you know celebrated uh, uh, the week ago on christmas the birth of christ you know his birthday celebration so to speak we normally, interesting, I, not that we're going to spend much time on that reality and talking about the birth of Christ, the incarnation things, but still, the thing is that, that the reality of Christ's birthday and that in, in, in our culture and I think pretty much to some degree worldwide that people recognize and celebrate birthdays, the birth of, of someone. To, to whatever that looks like in different cultures and different, and different countries, but they do. But anyways, in, in our culture, we celebrate birthdays by usually giving gifts. But we usually give them to the birthday person. My question to you is, what do you give the birthday boy? Anything? A thought. I, I get this. Actually, this didn't come to myself. I've never seen the whole movie particularly, but there's a movie called The, the Bishop's Wife. And anyways, one statement at the, towards the end where the, the, the pastor, the bishop of the church, is giving his Christmas message, this angel of his anyways, makes that statement along those lines. What, did you give to, what do we give to the child in the manger? And I'll be honest, it, I remember when I first saw that line, that, that part of that movie, it hit me. <laughs> like sometimes things do. I never thought of that. You know, celebrating Christmas all these years, you know, even bef you know before I was a believer, and then after. How come it never dawned on me about giving something to the one whose birth we celebrate? So that's part where this kind of comes in. And I'm just we're just going to kind of jump right into the. Um, to the point of the matter at the very beginning here, because some of you may already been thinking it, so why prolong it? We find in Romans twelve one where it says, 
I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Again, to jump right into the, the meat of the matter, you give yourself. Because what else do you give the God who has everything? How often do we make that statement? <laughs> I remember trying to buy gifts for my grandmother when she was alive. And I was like, why do you give someone who's got everything? Doesn't need anything. How much more so to our God who has everything? The only thing he asks, you. He asks you to give yourself. So as we move forward in this, basically the idea that, uh, that I'm looking at here, while we give ourselves, well, what do we do? How does that look like? How do you put rubber to the road in that kind of thought? Because it can be easy to say, well, yes, you give yourself. I give myself to the Lord. Okay. How does that look like? What does that look like? And there's many things we could look at. We could spend a whole series of messages, really, on the reality of what that looks like, of being a living sacrifice and giving oneself to the Lord. In this, I'm kind of approaching it more on the idea of that deeper relationship with God. A resolution to commit oneself to greater intimacy in the coming year. Part of that was because that was what was on my heart. Greater intimacy, greater knowledge, greater closeness with God. I don't know about you, but too, at the the end of a year, sometimes you look back and you, you know, you... Whether it's news or websites, there's all these different lists. Best of the year, worst of the year, things you regret, things you did. All those. And a lot of times, more often than not, a lot of those tend to start focusing on family, relational things. And there's fun, there's silliness here and there that could have taken place or didn't. But usually it's times like this at the end of a year that people start going, ah. Man, I didn't get to spend time with this person, or I didn't spend as much this, or we didn't do that like I wanted to. Relational. Relational. I don't know about you, but sometimes you get to the end of the year, it's like, did I really spend the time I wanted to with my God? Did I really sit down and commune with the Almighty the way I would like to? Not as much as I'd like to, truth be told. And it is a lifelong experience. Your entire lives will go down that path. But anyway, so I come to this with four different aspects, four different characteristics of relational intimacy. And these are not in any kind of order of greater to lesser or a progression leading, you know, through, as it were. These are just things that I, when I look at how we relate to other people, how we build relationships with those around us, and how that is the same as we relate to our God and we build a relationship with him. So with that in mind, the first point that I kind of come to, or came to mind, 
was that there's an intellectual element to a relationship. Intellectual. We may not always think it that way, but we relate intellectually with people. And we relate intellectually with our God. And he wants to do so with us. In Isaiah 118, the Lord says, come now, let us reason together. I love that. There's so much in the word of God, you can spend an abundance of time just with that. Come. That he calls people, come. Come. It's almost like that, come, sit. Get your cup of coffee, get your tea, whatever. Let's sit, let's enjoy, let's reason, let's talk together. I don't know about you, but I like that. You know, coffee, donut, whatever. Conversation. That's inviting. That's encouraging. That draws you in. And that's our God. He says, come. Come to me. And let's reason. Let's talk. And even in Proverbs 1, verse 7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. I think most of us know that fear is that, that idea of reverence, respect, awe, is the beginning of knowledge. And we do. That knowledge, when we're pursuing a relationship with someone, whatever it means, whether it would be romantic, whether it be friendship, you know, uh, even work-related, employer-employee, there's knowledge. What's your name? Who are you? Where do you live? What do you do for a living? We ask questions at a very basic level at some point, a very surface level, but they begin to reveal, they begin to open up. Who is this person I'm sitting across from? Who is this person I'm working next to? We ask questions. And it takes time. And it requires conversation. A giving uh, and sharing of thoughts and ideas. Our God is the same way. He encourages questions. Again, I've said before, I don't know, that God does no problem with questions. And the attitude behind it is that to seek and to know and to understand. And most of us know the difference between that kind of attitude and a questioning, you know, of, of seeking a loophole or a means to justify actions or behaviors. Now, God has no problems with legitimate questions. And how often we see that in the Old Testament. You know, Abraham, I love that. Just before God goes to pass judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah, this long extended questioning, conversation. God, will you really destroy them? If there are 50 righteous? No. 40, 30, 10, all the way down. And God had no problem. God didn't get angry with that. But time again, there's many opportunities where individuals, saints, we think of David. 
in the Psalms crying out to God, questioning, asking, where are you, O God? How can you allow this to happen? Pouring his heart out. That was a man after God's own heart. Getting to know God. Drawing closer. Deeper. too how often the Lord said even when he was dealing with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and their questions their attitudes which I think we all understand where they were coming from how often did he say have you not read do you not know how often why he gave us a book why he wrote down all these things that we may know that we may be able to, to understand him. Sad to think that, I don't know about you, but you've probably come across individuals or at least heard some people say, well, I believe in a God, fill in blank. A God that would do this or not do that. Putting some sort of characteristic upon God or a qualification, a quality upon him. Sadly, they don't understand what they're doing. So that's not learning about God. That's learning about yourself. <laughs> this is what I want in a God. This is what I demand. <laughs> we can understand that because how would you approach that in a relationship with anyone else? Well, I believe Justin Becker. I believe in a Justin Becker who would do this, this, and that. <laughs> Apparently you don't know him. Why don't you come and ask me? who I am or what I think or what I believe or what I would want. God's the same way. Come sit, talk, reason with me. Ask me, read, let's converse, let's talk. And I'll tell you. And through that progression of learning and delving and reading and knowing, we get to understanding, finding out what makes someone tick, as it were. Because the more we go, the deeper we go, we go beyond the mere knowledge, the mere intellectual. Because while we can understand a lot intellectually about somebody, until we go deeper and get into the emotional, we never really fully know somebody. And that leads us to another point. The next element that I see in, 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 in a journey towards relational intimacy. That there is an emotional element in a relationship. Emotional empathy. Which is being sensitive to and vicariously experiencing the feelings, thoughts, and experiences of another. And that is to be able to sit down and know why someone feels the way they do why this particular situation upsets them so or confuses them so. What makes them happy? What makes them laugh? <laughs> what kind of joke just tickles them the right way? <laughs> no matter what. And what grieves them? We understand that. And we know that that's a big difference between knowing someone on an intellectual level, knowing about them, 
and then really beginning to know them. Two in Romans twelve fifteen, Paul says, "Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep." We are called to come alongside, to empathize, to feel those emotions. Now, again, sometimes in in, in our current culture and society, there's aspects of emotion that seems to be trumping truth and reality, which is a sad thing. But we never want to dismiss emotion or write it off. It's powerful. It's real. It's not fake. It's not imagined. And how often when you connect someone on that level, how deeper your relationship goes. Sometimes you don't even have to say anything. Just being with someone when they're grieving, when their heart is breaking over whatever it may be. Those bonds of friendship and intimacy grow tighter than if you just gave some nugget of truth. As important as that truth may be, just being with them, sitting alongside them, draws you closer. And similarly, we have a God who is emotional. In a good way. I love the shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five. Two words. Jesus wept. Powerful, really. And we I think we all know that the verses, the chapters, verses, things like those divisions were done much later. And I forget, I wish I would have wrote down the man's name who did that, and I think in, in, to a to a great help to believers far after. I find it interesting that he sectioned that off into a verse all upon its own. Jesus wept. Kind of an, almost an exclamation point, even though there isn't one in there, I don't think I could be wrong. But kind of like highlighting that. God weeps. God feels sadness. God feels emotion. We should be a no-brainer. We are made in his image, and we are emotional beings. So it really shouldn't come as that big of a surprise. But how often we need that reminder that our God is not one who is aloof, so to speak. He's not removed or distant physically or emotionally from his creation. He is a God who is near at hand, approachable, relatable. Have you ever been with someone or talked to try to build a relationship with someone who just seems emotionally not there? Dead, so to speak, as some would say, he's just emotionally dead. It can be hard to connect, hard to build those intimate bonds with that. Somehow, it just feels like not real. It's like, get angry about something. Get happy about something. Or at times, someone can always be happy. I made that comment about being happy at work. It's not always the case. They also, you know, they, I'll be honest, sometimes they like to joke about dark red coming out. That's my nickname, right? 
And nothing too bad, just, you know, life in general gets you annoyed. Something doesn't work out the way you do. You can't help be like, and like that. And they kid, they like to kid because my dark red is by so means tamer than their, some of their happiest days. But anyways, there's this one other man, young fellow, a believer, uh, who he hurt himself at work. Nothing too drastic, but still he had to get some stitches. And the next day he was back at work, thankfully. I asked him, how you doing? He's like, oh, great. Big smile and everything. Everything's fine. No problem. He's like, don't lie to me. It's like, okay, it hurts. It's like, there you go. It's like, but God is good. I was like, absolutely. But you don't have to whitewash it saying that your pain isn't real. Because it is. <laughs> but we can still have joy in the Lord regardless of the pain. And we do. Again, that's our God. Our God gets angry about things. He does. We see that all throughout the Old Testament. And we see in the, that in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. He got angry about some things. He got angry but didn't sin. You need to remember that. But he showed his emotion. He wasn't cut off and disconnected. And that's why so much, I think, why people could approach him, regardless of their station in life, regardless of where they came from. Because they can relate to that. We can relate to that. We can relate to joy, happiness, Anger, sadness, that's real. That's where we're at. That's life. It's reality. And that is our God. And that's part of journeying down, getting to know him. Building that more intimate relationship. Finding out what makes God angry. What upsets him. And we could take time looking at those. There's passages that clearly call out exactly what angers God. I'm going to leave that to you. That's your assignment. But what makes God angry? What brings him joy? What makes him happy? And he does. He gets happy. That's one thing I, I really wish was more in the gospel. You know, a picture of Christ just beaming with joy. I think it's there if you look for it. You see where he's happy and where he, he draws so much attention to certain instances and moments and events that take place. Because he's happy. And he's joyful in those moments. But also knowing what grieves him. What breaks his heart. What causes him to cry. To know those things. Because as we do, we know our God greater. As we move down, we get to the intellectual, the emotional. But there's also the physical. There's always the physical in, in relationship. When we build intimate relationships. And one of those that we see early on in Scripture that tells about the Lord's intimate physical relationship with His creation is Genesis 3.8. It may seem odd, but it says, and, there, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And it's that verse that is often cited as the first indication of God's desire for relationship with his creation. That he would come walking. Again, physically, God's pre 
pre-incarnate form, physically walking and interacting with his creation. That he would come, walk in the grass, feel the dew on his feet and on his hands, and come seeking. Sadly, we know the story, his wayward children at this point. Pursuing relationship, even though he knew all about it already. Again, while he calls us to come near, he comes pursuing as well. Right out of the gate, right when things seemed its worst, God comes looking. And he does the same today. God comes to us. I mean, we just celebrated literally God coming down from heaven to dwell among us. I love it said that there's so many of the religions of the world, really almost all of them, uh, can be summed up as some path moving up the mountain towards God or towards an entity of some kind. And that they're all different pathways that can lead you there. No. But I love the distinct difference of biblical Christianity. We make that difference because biblical, what it says is about the God who came down. The God who came to us. Not requiring us to go to him. What a drastic, important difference than every other religious ideology out there. Our God comes to us. He doesn't sit aloof on a mountaintop waiting for us to find our way. How many people get confused with that, thinking that's what Christianity is about? But it's not. Interesting, there's another verse, too, that I want to bring out at this point, is that we draw close, we spend time with God, and the difference that that makes. In Acts 4.13, when Peter and John were, were before the Sanhedrin, <laughs> the Jewish council, about to get in trouble for preaching Christ, <laughs> resurrected. It says, now, they, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. What a difference. Just the reality that they knew that these men had been with the Lord. And that made them distinctly different. How could they be preaching? How could they expound upon these truths and these realities? They'd been in Jesus Christ. They'd spent time with him. Dwelt with him. Journeyed with him. And spending time with the Lord, even in this dispensation, is a part of the physical element of reality. One, time is linked to the physical world. We need to spend time in his word, reading it does take time to do that, to set it aside, to make that time. And I said before, you can learn a lot about reading about, bleh, there it goes again. You can learn a lot about someone by reading about them or listening to others, but you will never truly know them until you spend time with them. Time with them. 
physical act of reading, the physical act of prayer. And there is a physical act of prayer. One, you have to do it. <laughs> literally do it. Whether the place, whether you literally go into a room, close the door by yourself, or you're sitting in a public square, whether you get down on your knees, whether you sit there, whether you look heavenward, whether your hands are folded, whether they're uplifted high, whatever, you do something. It's a physical reality. And it is part of it. It is part of the conversation. The physical act of reading, the physical act of speaking, it is an ongoing conversation that takes place in the physical world. How often, too, the Lord said, follow me. He just said, follow me. I love that. To spend time with him. He dwelt with them, ate with them, slept with them, journeyed with them. I've always liked this quote by Mark Twain. He says, I have found out that there ain't no sure way to find out whether you like people or hate them than to travel with them. <laughs> I like to like this. And you've probably been there, it's like, boy, those long trips, they can test the patience of a person. <laughs> but it is, you travel with, you spend time with people. You get to know them, because in times like that, when you're in intimate moments and times, you can't hide it. <laughs> your foibles, your problems, your faults, your issues are going to come out in some way or another. I remember on uh, my second mission trip something it wasn't a big deal but something happened that just had me annoyed and frustrated and uh, apparently i didn't have a very good poker face because <laughs> one of the other gals on the on the trip she could, she took one look at me and go you okay what's the matter I was like and if my first thought was i'm fine nothing wrong here i'm okay and i had to come back later and go, all right you got me <laughs> I was bothered by this thing that happened, and you know it, was, it wasn't that big of a deal, but it was more on me. But anyway, you can't hide it. When you spend time with people, you get to know them. I think that's what God wants. He wants us to spend time with Him. Spend time with Him. Intimate time. Specific time. Time. And again, we could take all kinds of time looking at what that looks like, trying to how we, setting a prayer a schedule, a reading schedule. There's all kinds of books and things and booklets about that if that's need uh, help or encouragement in that direction. But I love it that it's wide open. God doesn't put that in there. He doesn't give us a list of a, a read, how, what we should be reading and how we should be reading just calls us to read, calls us to commune with him, encourages it. So in some ways, whatever works for you, whether it's sitting down and reading through the Bible in a year, whether it's just, you know, a verse a week, or if you have to travel, if it's listening to the, the Bible on CD or tape, if you still have it in your vehicle, Sometimes, however it works, wherever the Lord will help reveal you, this is a time, this is a place, we can do this, we can talk. It'll work. So take it. 
there's other, another aspect of the physical act of intimacy with, with the Lord and, and that, that part of following him. While we commune, while we pray, while we read, while we learn, at some point, when he says follow, he means follow in my footsteps, in my manner. If you've been journeying, if you've been learning and growing deeper, he's going to start calling you to do something. Go somewhere. (laughs) Help someone. Or stop doing something. (laughs) Or to do something better. At some point, conviction of some kind is going to come in. And the point of decision is, are you going to do it or not? Again, that's relational intimacy. If you have a relation with someone, say a friend, and you tell them, yes, uh, you're moving, I'll be over there at 10.30 to help, and you're a no-show. Is that going to hurt your relationship? Yeah. (laughs) To some degree. Now, maybe there are circumstances and reasons, but when you tell someone uh, that you will be there to do something, help them in some way or be a part of something and you don't there's a loss there there's a there's a backtracking in relationships so to speak and the same thing with our god james tells us one one in 122 be doers of the word and not hearers only Sometimes it could be too easy to just be hearers. (laughs) Yep, I know that. Oh, that sounds good. Absolutely, Lord, I'll go. And then not. There's a passage, I should have wrote it down, I fail in this too often, that comes to mind in the Gospels. The Lord is expounding upon a particular uh, issue. He's talking with them, and he gives a story, a parable of two brothers. It's not the two brothers you think. It's not the, the prodigal sons. Two other brothers. And the father tells the two sons to do something. And one says right away, yes, I'll go. I'll do it. And the other says, eh, I don't want to do it. The first two jumped up and said he would, never did. The one who had first said, I don't want to do it, eventually did do what he was asked. The Lord said, which one did the father's will? Kind of obvious, the one who actually did it. (laughs) And we have that tendency sometimes to jump up and be like, yes, I will. Yes, I'll give to that. Yes, I'll help with that. And not following through. Now, thankfully, our God is long-suffering and patient and kind and gracious. And he will love us no matter what. as we move towards closer relational uh, intimacy with him that's what he's calling I asked you to do this I asked you to go there I asked you to say this why didn't you I think as anyone who's followed when you follow through on the Lord's leadings in whatever he's calling you to it does it brings you closer it brings you closer and wants you to do more the next time, to be there the next time he asks, the next direction he leads.
it is in that. And I think anyone knows that when people have worked together, bonded together, traveled together, those relational bonds grow tighter, grow deeper as a year. They grow sweeter. Two, when we get to our end of our lives and we have to say goodbye to certain individuals, we remember those moments. We remember those times. And we love telling other people about them. Oh, I love to tell the story. (laughs) We'll be telling those stories around the throne when we go home to glory. So we have an intellectual element. We have an emotional. We have a physical. We come to my last point, at least. We have a spiritual element when it comes to relationships. There's a spiritual element. With our God, of course, but also with each other. And there's, if, because uh, we, when we connect with someone on an emotional level, it is deeper, you could say. I would say spiritual is the, the perhaps the height, the yin to the yang kind of aspect, the, 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 the going higher, as it were. Maybe it's deeper, maybe it's semantics, I don't know. But there is an aspect of going another dimension of relationship that the spiritual gives. And some people just connect on a level that goes beyond intellectual and emotions. Maybe you have those kinds of friendships. Maybe you have those uh, uh, relational connections with people. Where you just know. You just connect right away. Some people say, well, it's almost like you know what they're thinking before they say it kind of thing. Like you just know. You're just on the same page, as it were. When they get together, when they meet, they don't even have to speak at times on the same wavelength. No problem having conversation either. Have you ever had someone where, where you just struggle having a conversation with some people? You just, it's like you're like pulling teeth or you're like looking like, how can I extricate myself from this? Sadly. <laughs> or other people, you could be with that person for hours. And the conversations just flow about all manner of topic, on all manner of subject. It doesn't matter. You just go. And it doesn't matter how much time has been between the last time you saw them. And again, the conversations are just sweet and they're deep and they're beautiful. It's just those kind of connections that happen on a level that defies mere intellectual mere emotional. Maybe it's all those things come better and then it hits at the very center of the being kind of thing. But I think that's why you often hear of believers who travel the world that they never, when they meet another believer somewhere, that they have an immediate connection. There is a spiritual connection there as it says in John 4, 24. Well, actually no, Romans 8, 16. The Spirit bears, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We are children of God, and that Spirit connects us, binds us in ways that defy logical understanding often. And it is that kind of connection, that kind of that element that God wants to connect with us. 
the Lord said in John 4, 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. In spirit and truth. You know, one can know a lot about God, but until you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will never truly know God. And that's just a fact. I think that can explain why certain individuals seem to heading down a path of following the Lord and then take such a hard turn the opposite direction. There was intellectual knowledge, but there wasn't the spirit. They never took that moment of trust and placed their faith solely in the Lord Jesus Christ and him. One can read and one can study. One can even do. One can even do the Lord's will. As he said himself in Matthew 7, 22 to 23, many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? He said, and then I will declare to them, never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I never knew you. What a horrifying thing to, for someone to hear, as it were. I never knew you. A sad thing. Heartbreaking, heart-wrenching. Someone could have gone their whole life and never actually placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because they will never connect. They will never know God on that level, sadly. And that's where it really comes to the point where God really wants us. He wants us to trust him. Because that's when he comes in in such an intimate manner where the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God himself comes in and dwells with us. Again, that aspect of spending time. How much more time can he spend? He's with me 24-7, 365, until the end of my days, whenever that may be. only took place the moment when I placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's when true intimacy really began. But all these others, and it's kind of funny that I end with that one because that's really where it begins. The rest should then be a natural flow from that point. Seeking to know more. Desiring to know more. Desiring to experience more. Just like anyone else you want to spend time with. Have you ever had those relationships? Those friendships that you just, oh, you just grieves you almost to be apart from them. You just want to be close to them. Spend time with them. Soak it up as much as you can whenever you're there with them. I have an aunt and uncle who've been married 52 years, I believe. And a couple of years ago, I think uh, just before they had their 50th, he told me that he loves his wife, my aunt, 
now more than he did at the beginning. That's a beautiful statement. And even then, I wondered, well, what's the nuts and bolts of that? Because <laughs> you can say that, but what does that mean? Well, in part, I think that means that he has a greater appreciation for and affection for her than he ever had at the beginning. And I think just the same with our God. Do we have a greater appreciation, a greater affection for our God now than when we first trusted him? Has that affection grown? Cultivated even more. But another aspect that I think is, while you would say, I love this person more, can I say that I love this person better? I remember being struck by this statement because I remember thinking that I hope that my wife at some point can say that he loved me better at the end than he did even at the beginning. That he demonstrated his love, that he showed his love, that he carried it out in greater and better ways in the end than he did at the beginning. And I think that's the same kind of love, the same kind of relationship that we want to have with our God because that's what he does. His love knows no bounds. And I think that love will be expressed in eternity in ways that we can't even possibly comprehend. But this year, this resolution, I suggest that we set forth on a journey of greater intimacy that we may be able to say, I love my God more than I did at the beginning of the year. And that I was able to express my love and appreciation for Him in a greater way than I did at the beginning. We know that James 4.8 says, draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we well, may we draw close to you this year, knowing that you will be faithful to draw close to us.